Welcome everyone to the Queensbury Chronicles. Join us as we delve into the latest trends, share our experiences and provide actionable advice to help you thrive in the business world. On the show, we'll be interviewing successful business owners, sharing valuable knowledge from our team of experts and giving you exclusive access to all things Queensbury. So, tune in and embark on a journey of discovery with Queensbury as your trusted companion. Welcome back everyone to the Queensbury Chronicles and what is a bit of a miserable day here in, uh, in the head office of Milton Keynes. My guest today is one of the managing partners of the company. So hello Sarah. Hi Dan, nice to see you. No, nice to see you, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing okay, like you say it's a bit miserable outside. It is a little but... bit, isn't it? Um, me and Sarah, we're going, to talk, we're going to talk a little bit about yourself, your background, how we got into Queensbury, um, some of the advice that you would give new entrepreneurs starting out or anyone who's looking to go into project management and hopefully we'll dive in a little bit deeper and learn a bit more about yourself. Okay. So Absolutely. I'm really excited, really excited. So I think let's kick this off by, I'm going to ask, why project management out of everything? Well, to be honest with you, I never started out as a project manager. I didn't go to university. Mm-hmm. So I was going to be an artiste. Oh. oh, yeah. I was going to make things and print things and draw things and paint things. And I literally went to um, college to do the art foundation that you have to do before you go to university. Mm-hmm. And everybody else was making paper mache beating hearts. And I just painted stuff that looked like it actually was. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is just not for me. Like, I'm just not going to fit in. I'm not going to enjoy it. I'll be like a fish out of water when I go to university. So had a bit of an existential crisis. <laughs> My mum said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I think I should just go get a job. And she said, well, there's a trainee management scheme at John Lewis. Just go and see if you apply to that, see if you can get a job. So I did and I got on it and I worked through up to sort of section manager. And then I was on the senior management training course and they literally just didn't have any positions for me because at that time in John Lewis, people just stayed forever. Mm-hmm. And they had like their long leave where they get six months paid leave and stuff like that. I don't mm-hmm. even know if they still do that, but... Um, they didn't know what to do with me. So they had an internal project that they were doing, some moves and revamping like fashion accessories and perfumery and stuff like that. So I just joined the team and started project management. And I just loved it Mm because it was like creative, problem solving. I got all my creative side of things, but then it was like organizational stuff and leading teams and like talking to lots of people and drawing plans and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. floated my boat. <laughs> that's really interesting because that's very similar to sort of what Richard said before in the sense of, you know, you, you didn't really think that you were going to go into this role when you were younger and it, all of a sudden after your experiences, you've gone, oh, I'm actually quite good at this. I really enjoy that. Mm. That's really interesting. So how did you then go from obviously being high up in, in John Lewis to all of a sudden going, you know what, I'm going to drop everything and I'm going to go and go on this adventure on, but, you know, with Richard and we're going to start Queensbury. What, what, made, what made you make that decision? Oh, wow. There was a lot in between. (laughs) So um, I I joined um, Fortnum & Mason and it was like an internal project manager. Mm -hmm. When the project finished, it was just one store. So there was no project management. Mm -hmm. So they asked me to manage the sales floors. And I just didn't want to go back to that. I did it for a bit, but I was like, this is just not what I want. I want to do project management. So then I went and looked for a company that would take on an unqualified project manager and basically said, look, I'll do my qualifications while I'm working for you. 
and there was a company in Milton Keynes, so I didn't have to commute to London anymore, <laughs> yay. Um, and basically, I worked my way up in that company, and in the meantime, I had two maternity leaves, mm-hmm. and both maternity leaves were really different from each other. The first one, everybody thought I'd given up on my career because when I came back, I wanted to be part-time for six months, right. just so my, my, my eldest was really little, I'd only been off for six, seven months, mm-hmm. and so it was, he was still really little. So uh, it was really difficult because everybody just gave up on me and just thought, oh, that's me, I've had a baby now, you know, mm-hmm. not going to bother with ambition. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second time, everybody, it was such a really different experience because everyone was like, oh, you've, you've done it before, you're fine. Mm. And I'd worked my way up to being a partner at that point. So I actually got promoted while I was on maternity leave, which mm-hmm. was the first time in a hundred year history of the company that they'd ever promoted anybody on maternity leave mm-hmm. to partner level. And so my experience after that was challenging in different ways. And probably about, I would say maybe two years after that was when Richard and I started talking. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, the conversation was always really good, right? Mm-hmm. Like, be an entrepreneur, come and work with me. You're, you're, what you do is really complementary to what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, clients have got business plans that I'm helping them write their business plans and helping them move to the UK. And then I have to literally hand them over to someone else to help them deliver, yeah. like, and implement their thing. Yeah. They want to build a coffee shop. They want to refurbish a hotel. They want to, you know, anything like that. So my project management skills would be really good and my strategic skills around like business change and things like that was really complimentary to Richard's. And then the conversation would always get to, so what kind of clients would you target and how would you do the business development? And then I got scared. Right. <laughs> it scared the bejesus out of me because I just thought, oh my God, I can't, I can't sell. I can't find clients. I work for a big company. I've always been in a big company. John Lewis's big company, yeah, yeah. Mason's big company, mm-hmm. you know, all smaller in terms of um, you know the size of the company but the infrastructure everything's there the other company was with AC Harris Arcadis these are big global firms yeah. you know all the infrastructure's there it's not on you mm-hmm. to for the success of the company whereas if it was me and Richard success is all of a sudden there's loads more it's responsibilities on me. Like, I've got yeah. to like pay the bills like I don't just get paid because I'm an employee no, of course I have to like I have to find the money to pay the bills and what if I can't do it? And then I'd get really scared and I'd be like, yeah, brilliant. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll talk. Um, and then we just didn't, it just didn't really happen. And he said to me a couple of times, you seem to go like, you seem to sort of get a bit nervous or whatever, like partway through the conversation. And then I admitted what was really wrong. Um, anyway, so then the experience in the company was kind of like, it was still really challenging and um, they decided to close, the company I was working with decided to close their Milton Keynes office. So I was going to have to commute to Birmingham every day mm. and with a child in nursery where if you don't get back by the time that they're closing, they charge you every 15 minutes, they charge you. Right. So if you got stuck on the so motorway, if I got stuck, if I got stuck on the yeah. motorway, or like I normally go by train, so the trains from Birmingham are kind of a bit, you know, if you miss the fast yeah. one, you've got an hour before you're home. Yeah. So then, you know, so the stress of that was just mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to do this. And so I thought, well, okay, 
This is the fish. This is the fish. But was that, was, was the stress of having to commute every day, you know, more than the fact that you were give you were given up a, a consistent salary, you knew what money you would get at the end of the month and you, you were, you know, stable. So all of a sudden you're going into this where it's, you know, it, it's a risk, isn't it? Yeah. It's a risk. Do you know what? Both options weren't like great, weren't particularly <laughs> desirable. But I think because at the time, my youngest had not slept properly for three and a half years. Mm. And the thought of trying to stress to be there. And also, I think I'd got to the point where I was like, do you know what? I really don't have any balance mm-hmm. at all. Like, I'm not at home. I'm not seeing the kids. I'm just constantly running from one, oh my God, yeah. I've got to be here, I've got to be at that meeting, I've got to be here, to the next, oh my mm-hmm. God, I've got to pick up the kids, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. So I thought, at the very least, I won't have that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it was scary. Yeah, It I was really imagine. scary. I can imagine. Um, how have you managed, like, juggling, obviously having having a family and obviously being, you know, one of the, one of the bosses? How, how mm-hmm. have you managed that relationship? Because like you say, you know, before you said you didn't have much time for... Your family, and at that stage, it's an important part of their life. You know, they're growing up, they're getting older. How, how have you managed to get that balance right? Well, see, now, at the beginning, it wasn't a lot of work. It wasn't super busy, mm-hmm. and it was just me and Richard. So mm-hmm. we could pick and choose kind of what we did a lot more yeah. than when you become a much bigger firm to what we were still very still small but still you know an SME not a micro business um you've then got mouths to feed and you've got you know work you can't necessarily be so flexible in terms of picking and choosing you you still still has to fit with our values and align with you know the way that we do business but um you know, the client might dictate a bit more of your time Mm -hmm. because, and you might have more clients to deal with because you've got more people that you're trying to help. And obviously if you're helping develop people and bring people through the company and give them opportunities where they're upskilling, you have to be there and handhold and things like that. So at the beginning, it was probably a little bit like more balanced. I had a lot more time at home. Um, and then we went through the pandemic, mm-hmm. so obviously it was a lot of time at home, but I was on Teams calls, like, decided that actually you didn't need breaks between meetings when you, when Teams became a thing, mm-hmm. you know, it was like, oh, brilliant, there's a gap, you don't need lunch or a week, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just put another meeting in. Yeah. Um, so that sort of went a bit mad, and that was all very unusual for everybody, so mm-hmm. I can't really judge that point as sort of me having any work balance work-life balance but then after that since we've got back into norm again it is it's difficult it's really challenging um the good thing is I can say actually I need to be at sports day mm-hmm. whereas I couldn't do that before mm-hmm. uh, well not with ease anyway um so we're able to be flexible for each other and supporting each other around those sorts of things. So you can be there more when you need to be there. Mm-hmm. But equally, the other bit is you're an entrepreneur with a business in the first few years of existence. Mm-hmm. And if you're growing, so we sort of had our first year, everything's always really buoyant and amazing and everyone's like really supportive and people are giving you opportunities with friends and family members and stuff like that. Year two is more difficult because you sort of 
grinding then, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And like you've used up all of the opportunities in friends and family circles. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you're like, okay, so if you get to year three, obviously a lot of businesses fail before year three. Yeah. But if you get to year three, you're like, brilliant, we've made it. But then you're growing because you can't stand still at that point. Mm-hmm. It's always like, what now? So it, yeah, it's yeah. always the what now. So being an entrepreneur is really difficult and actually there's always challenges and it's about like being there for each other. So mm-hmm. making sure that the people that you're doing business with, your clients that you're working with and your business partners or your staff are there for you when you need to take the time out or mm-hmm. you need to do something or whatever and you're there for them when they've got to do the same mm-hmm. you know it's just trying to work together really to to try and get a bit of balance but you are just constantly on it when yeah. you've got your own business because you just can't leave things yeah <laughs> do you think it's important that your your staff have that same opportunity as well for example like i know you said that you know sports days and stuff you're able to to, to go and do do you think it's important that your staff have the same opportunities as well Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Richard and I always said we've had our own experiences and and possibly negative things that have happened. And it's always a bit like when you look at a manager, right? When you're not the manager and you look at a manager, if you have a bad manager, Mm -hmm. it's actually good. It's a really good learning point because you look at them and go, I'm not going to do that. So when you become a manager, you're like, right, I've got to remember I'm not going to do that and Mm -hmm. I'm going to do this. And that's what Richard and I did, said we were like, right, okay, these are the things we're going to make sure are really important and these are the things that we won't do, you know, or we won't allow to happen in our business. And the things we wanted to make sure it was inclusive, that people got fair opportunities, that people got opportunities that they maybe wouldn't have in a larger company to do things and experience things that they wouldn't get the opportunity to and to always have access to us um, as the managing partners Mm -hmm. so that if they had an idea or they have a problem, they can come to us and speak to us about it. Um, but then equally that, you know, if they've got stuff going on in their lives, we're there as a support network for them. And mm-hmm. it's important that everybody feels they have that mm-hmm. the opportunity to, you know, look, I've got this happened or my kid's sick or whatever. Like I've been in jobs where, especially in retail, you have to book your holidays a year in advance. Yeah. <laughs> you can't take holiday in July because of clearance. You can't take holiday in lead up to Christmas, literally the whole of November and December because yeah. it's Christmas. You can't take holiday in January because it's the sale. Do you know? And, yeah. and you're so constrained and you are there nine to five or whatever your time is. If your kid's sick or you have a doctor's appointment or any of those like life things you either really struggle or it's or you don't you're just not allowed to go you like have to rely on your partner or mum and dad or friend or whatever to go and pick them up Mm -hmm. we didn't want people to have to struggle like that Mm -hmm. we wanted them to know that actually life life is life life work is life work is part of life so you know if stuff's going off you need to have that room and space what we hope then on the alternative side of things is that there's a loyalty there to us um, and that there's a commitment there and if we if they need to work extra hours or work outside of their normal working hours that actually they've got the flexibility they need from us so then we get the commitment and the flexibility from them. Mm-hmm. One thing I find really interesting when you're saying that is because you know the point of this podcast is to is to help 
entrepreneurs and, mm. and you know help people in this in this sector and one thing that stood out for me is that you said that you and Richard sat down and said you know what we this is what we want to look like this is not what we want to look like it's almost I call them teamship rules mm. it's almost like you set out a list of values that you went you know this is how we want to be has that come from your experiences like working elsewhere that you've gone you know I really like that and I'm not I don't really like that absolutely yeah no that is the whole reason behind it you know mm. we we have we had the opportunity to we never really imagined we'd have what we have now. Mm-hmm. We wrote a business plan. Uh, probably after the first year, we wrote a business plan, um, for a five-year business plan, and we'd achieved almost everything on the business plan within the like year, year and a half after that. Mm-hmm. So um, we hadn't necessarily sat down and written it down but we definitely had that conversation right at early doors that said if we get a team if we employ people this is how we want to be but we certainly said right from the beginning if we've got clients and they treat us badly they don't pay us they don't talk to us nicely they don't talk to our team members nicely uh, or you know professionally in the right way um, then we won't we won't do business with them. Like mm-hmm. we'll stop doing business with them. There might be things where we have to continue for an obligational reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but once the obligation is done, that's it. That's we it. will mm-hmm. not continue to work with them again in the future. Um, and so, yeah, it is. It was about like what our values are based on our experience. Mm-hmm. What we didn't want to do, definitely what we wanted to do, but we didn't believe I don't think at that time when we had that con- the first conversation that we were going to be in this position where we had yeah. a team and an office and yeah. a, I mean that was like a pipe dream for us at that <laughs> point we were like yeah yeah one day yeah we'll definitely I don't think either of us really believed that you, that would come to reality <laughs> do you know that's really interesting because I think one of the the biggest steps that you take when you know you start your business is bringing other people in mm. maybe as employees or on the same level as you and I think you know just having spoken with you and Richard as well you seem to like have such a clear idea of what you want they say life to look like how you want to, to manage people and I think for me that sounds like a real key to success it really think? is yeah mm-hmm. yeah I definitely agree you know I think whether you're on your own or whether you've got a business partner as soon as you start doing anything with anybody else and that's clients that's you know going out and networking that's bringing people on board into your team um even if that's associates rather than you know associates or partnership agreements of rather than employees um you have to know how you want to do business mm-hmm. you have to know what your boundaries are so what are you going to accept and what are you not going to accept and how do you want things to look? You know, what does it need to feel like? Because if you are clear on that, then it doesn't matter what steps you take and how, like, we've grown exponentially in ways we never imagined. You know, we didn't imagine we would be a law firm, for example. Mm-hmm. We didn't um, imagine we'd become an endorsing body. We didn't imagine we'd have these long, really um, good revenue contracts um, with big clients because... Um, you know, we would, it was just me and Richard and yeah. we were just doing little bits of work. But what we what we knew is, however we did business, it was going to be in the same way. And we would always try and do it with the integrity and the values and all the things that we wanted. So it allowed us to grow. 
and even when we sort of grew faster than our infrastructure, back like our baseline, you know, we had to go backwards almost and do some more bits behind the scenes um, because we'd grown so quickly. We were still able to handle that growth because we had those boundaries and we had those sets of values and we had, you know, this is how we will do business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting, really well, interesting. Is, I guess, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's um, let's dive a little bit more deeper into you then, because we oh, talked yeah. about that. We talked about the company. <laughs> I think it's always interesting to to learn more about you. What what would you say are the most important skills as a project manager that you need in your in your line of work? Communication, number one, absolutely, because it doesn't matter what your technical skills are, if you can't communicate with people effectively, be that stakeholders, the supply chain, team members, Mm -hmm. upwards management, the board, whoever you're answering to um, in a client organisation, you just won't be successful. That's just the end of it. You have to have really, really good communication skills. Um... Organisational skills, obviously, as a project manager, you have to be very organised. You have to be on top of things. You have to manage the time frame and other people's timelines. You can't just, you know, think, oh, well, I'm fine. You know, you are managing literally everybody's time and everybody's working day Mm -hmm. to get that project delivered. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would say just a really sort of realistic but positive attitude because as a project manager you have to have a thick skin mm-hmm. um basically there's points in your project always that you just feel like everybody has got it in for you yeah. <laughs> everybody you are taking it in the neck from everyone the suppliers unhappy the clients unhappy the you know there'll be things that aren't going quite right you know the costs might be doing soaring or um you know the quality might not be there and it literally will feel like a dark cloud is just hanging over you and you can almost feel like oh gosh I don't know how I'm going to get out of this so just having a thick skin to be able to handle the kind of taking it on the chin and going right okay fine I understand you're unhappy let's calm you back down again let's figure out what we're going to do um and then having a positive sort of view about like re- like I say realistic not don't be optimistic about things because that's not going to do well either but having a positive view about there is a way to get out of this I guess problem solving comes into that as well so mm-hmm. being able to think innovatively about this the problem what the solution might be mm-hmm. so um you there's always a solution okay you might have to throw money at it it might not be great but there's always a solution yeah and so it's like, okay, what are the solutions? I've calmed everybody down. We can have a decent conversation about what the problem is, what we think the solutions are. Mm-hmm. And always, always as a project manager, you have to come with a solution. Yeah. If there's a problem, you have to come with at least a solution. It might be something they don't want to do, <laughs> but you have to come with a solution because, you know, if you come to people with problems, then you come to people with problems yeah. and, and, then, and you're not useful to them. If you come to them and say, look, we've got this problem, this is how I think we should fix it, are mm-hmm. you on board with that? Nine out, times out of ten, they'll say, yeah, happy, please, just take it away from me. Yeah, yeah, and, of course. And you get it done, and then suddenly what was deemed not successful becomes a successful project. What? How would you bounce back then? Because you must have 
made a lot of mistakes in your career and that's you know it's important that's how we grow what advice would you give to people when they when they make mistakes so my biggest problem is when I make a mistake I ruminate on it mm-hmm. and I give myself a really hard time and um, and then my imposter syndrome kicks in the little voice in my head that was like oh well you made that mistake because you're not good enough or mm-hmm. you made that mistake because you didn't understand that well enough or whatever it is um, so it is about quieting that voice down mm-hmm. and it's about um, I think just just always thinking that you know you'll come out the other side of this whatever it is and if you're good if you're a good problem solver you'll always find a solution to whatever the, the thing is that you've done mm-hmm. you've done wrong or you've made a mistake or something's come out the back of it and honestly the amount of times where I've made a mistake, something's gone wrong, and because of the skills I just told you about, my good communication skills, I've built excellent relationships with the people that were working with me, including my client above me, and so I could go to them and say, I've made this mistake, I'm really sorry, this is what I think we should do about it. Mm And again, nine times out of ten, they might be annoyed, they might be really annoyed, it might cost them more money, it might delay the project, it might caused a problem with a relationship with another stakeholder in the in their business and so they will be annoyed about it but they won't be horrible to you yeah. and they'll work with you to to get the solution because mm-hmm. you've built that relationship with them and you know they don't want to see you in a bad state they don't want to see you upset or you know berating yourself about it they mm-hmm. want they want everything to be nice again. Mm-hmm. So they'll kind of go, right, okay, look, this is really, like, you cannot do this again. And you have to go, like, I'm so sorry, I know. And, and this is how I will make sure it doesn't happen again. And they go, yeah, okay, cool. Right, let's just get that done then. Yeah, because at the end of the day, everyone wants to hear the same end goal. If there's a problem, everyone just wants to get it solved at the end of the day. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, there will be clients that will shout at you. There'll be clients that will make you feel even worse. And then... You might have to go off in a little corner and cry, yeah. <laughs> and that's fine. <laughs> um, but it's about coming back and going. Okay, look, I get, I get, you're really angry, but uh-huh. like, can you just calm down so we can talk about this and we can talk through the solution? Yeah. And then leave them alone. Yeah. And go and deliver it, and come back and go. I sorted that out. Yeah. And they go. Thank you for that. And normally they go. I'm really sorry, shall we? Don't you? Yeah. <laughs> Unless they're like totally mental. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to work with them anyway. <laughs> um, let's flip the question then, because I'm interested. Do you think it's important to celebrate success? Because, and I said, I said to Richard in his podcast, I said a lot of the time people will have a big success and it will go right. Well done. Pat's on the back. Let's get back to work. But do you think it's important that you celebrate that? it's really important that you celebrate success so that you can see how far you've come mm-hmm. um you get a bit of a release as well like if you're celebrating you know if you have a little social or you know something that just is a pat on the back it makes people feel valued mm-hmm. um but it, it shows you how far you've come what you've achieved if you don't celebrate the successes you can go a whole year and go oh, we've done a lot, haven't we? And you can't remember any of it because you haven't celebrated it. Now, we have not been great at celebrating success. (laughs) (laughs) Because, and I think this is a a key issue with entrepreneurs. You're so busy 
trying to make things happen and delivering for your clients um, that you just sort of just keep swimming, yep. just keep swimming. Mm-hmm. And then you go, oh, that was brilliant. Oh, yay, well done. Quickly, right, the next thing. And the next thing's there already. Like, mm-hmm. you can't get away from it. So you, you sort of, and then by the time you've realised that you didn't celebrate it, it's like been a month. And you're like, oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that, that's the reason I asked it, because I think, you know, because you guys do so much good work, I think it's really important that five years down the line, you don't want to maybe go back to like a project that's doing really well and go, oh, you know, we worked on that five years ago. Oh, mm. we didn't celebrate it, mm. you know. So I think it's just uh, interesting. I find it really interesting to see what your views on that are. Um, so sort of like similar to what we've, uh, what we've talked about, we talked about skills. What qualities do you need as, you know, as, as a boss of people, what qualities do you need in order to build like a successful work environment? Put you on the spot here a little bit. No, that's fine. <laughs> um, empathy is is uh, sorry. Empathy is probably not the right word. Maybe emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. right? So being able to pick up on things that are going on that people aren't telling you. Um, being able to sort of identify maybe problems before they get too big or I can't you can't resolve them. But also um, where somebody might be wanting to progress or do something and they're just a bit shy to say something about it, being able to have that emotional intelligence to be able to understand understand where they're coming from, put yourself in their shoes and talk to them in a way that helps them to understand where they are and how they can progress and, you know, that everything's not big and scary maybe. Um, again, I you know, leadership requires having a thick skin yeah. um, and not taking things too personally, like things go wrong mm-hmm. and not necessarily with team, with your own team, but, you know, we've, we've had things, partnerships and business relationships that we thought were going a certain way and they've gone wrong and you really have to pick yourself up and be sort of resilient so the thick skin bit and the resilience bit, I guess, are the quality because, you know, there are so many knockbacks. And, and when you're starting out and you're trying to sell, to, when you're trying to sell anything to anybody, you are going to get knocked back a lot of times. So you can't, you can't like sort of dwell on that. You have to just keep moving forward um, and be sort of quite positive about, you know, the next one will happen. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe if this one didn't happen, the next one will happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think yeah that resilience and that sort of thick skinness kind of goes through project management and being a boss. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, so the last thing I really want to ask you before we move on to the, the sort of personal questions are, what would what do you look for when you're hiring someone? Because you've got quite a quite a tight um, team and it's almost like a family like group. What do you look for when you hire people? Um, do you know what I've always said this about anything? If you're hiring to a I've did hiring um, previously in my like um, in my other organisations that I work for, um, and doing it for yourself is obviously feels like it's even more pressurised and important, especially when you've got a small team. Um, but I've also recruited onto project management teams as well. So recruiting into a project management team, as in you've got people already in the organisation, but you're bringing those people in to work as part of the team. That's quite a small team as well. So it's really important. The dynamics are good. Mm-hmm. 
And so for me, it's always been, you can teach somebody the technical aspects as long as they've got a baseline, yeah. obviously, in what they did. They can't be yeah. like, I have a degree in knitting. I can now do a project management of a construction project. Can you get a degree in knitting? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, you know, as long as they've got the basic skills, you can teach them the technical aspects of what you're trying to deliver. If they've not got the right fit, if they're not the right personality type or um, if they don't fit within your team and they and they feel like a valued member of the team and they feel like they're putting their weight within the team, that's not going to work. You know, you are going to get problems. So for me, it's always about the personality. So I, I know if they've got the right experience and they can almost like communicate to me how their experience is relatable to the job at hand Mm -hmm. if there's gaps it doesn't matter and you know the big thing for women is and there's some sort of stats and I can't remember exactly what it is but if a man looks at a job um, they will go I can do 50% of this job so I'm going to go for it Mm -hmm. there's like a confidence there with with males that tends to not be there with, with females now a woman looks at a job and she'll be like oh I can only do 95%, there's 5% I can't do, mm-hmm. I'm not even going to apply. Mm-hmm. And so I would always say to anybody, go for the opportunity because the person will be looking for, if they're a good hiring manager, they will be looking for you as the right fit in with their team yeah. and the technical bits, the gaps that you've got, be open and honest about those, but say, look, I'm willing to learn, I'm willing to train, um, you know, I can apply my knowledge really quickly and I will always ask questions and come back to you if I'm unsure. Mm-hmm. I won't just try and blag it. Like blagging it is the worst, right? Yeah. Don't blag anything, please. <laughs> um, but you know, and, and as long as you've got that, you can teach, you can learn, they can shadow you, you know they're gonna ask, they're not just gonna go off and before you know it there's a really big problem um, that you then are gonna struggle to deal with. It's always gonna be right, okay, like we'll pick up on that. There's a bit of a gap there or bit of a development point there but yeah absolutely personality is the thing perfect let's wrap up today with um a couple of more light-hearted questions so okay. i want to dive a little bit deeper <laughs> first one being office dog or office cat dog obviously because we have poppy who is a dog yeah. and she is totally in you know the office as part of the team now mm-hmm. in fact when i walk in the door everyone goes oh Where's Poppy? <laughs> I go, it's just me today. Oh, yeah, cheers. <laughs> do you think do you think it helps with morale in the in the office having an office pet? Definitely, definitely. I, do you know what though? It, dog, cat, whatever. I actually we really want we've we have a potential office cat as well. Um with Pav's Pav's got a cat and um we actually really want to introduce them, but we don't know if it's going to be a bit too hectic for the office. I feel like no work would get done <laughs> if they were both in there. Yeah. Um you're on a you're on a Queensbury night out somewhere, okay. celebrating some success. Let's say. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, what's your go-to karaoke song? Oh my lord, go-to karaoke song. Firstly, are you getting up and doing the karaoke? Oh, hundred percent. Okay, 100%. good, good. I'll be worried because yeah. if you said no and I'm trying to ask for a karaoke song, I'd be a bit like, oof. So the issue is <laughs> that I think I'm really good at singing karaoke because mm-hmm. I've normally had a couple of wines at that point <laughs> um, and I'm not great apparently and my go-to song tends to be 
Prince Kiss. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you know, it can go a little bit awry, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, last one, Beam. Let's say, theoretically, you know, you, you further down the line, you sell the business and you've got a one way ticket to anywhere in the world. Okay. Where are you going? Are you going for a nice beach holiday or are you going to go explore and see the world? I wouldn't, I would go exploring. Yeah. I would stay in the UK to live, you yeah. know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. I would definitely go exploring like all over the place. Yeah. Like me and the fam would be all over the place. Anywhere in particular? Seven wonders of the world. Right. I want to go back to Thailand. Uh, I would definitely go back to Mexico. Because uh, literally didn't see enough of that place, mm-hmm. and uh, I'd love to go to Australia, but yeah. I'm a bit worried about the bugs. Big spiders, uh, aren't they? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not sure it's for me for that <laughs> reason, but yeah, there's so many places I would just go all over the place. Yeah, brilliant, Sarah. Thank you so much for that insight. I think it's really, it's always really interesting to sit here for me and to listen and and to learn as well off off you. So thank you so much for that. Um, if you did enjoy the podcast please follow and like on all of our social media platforms and thank you very much to our media team for putting this all together until next time I've been Dan Naylor and this is the Queensby Chronicles